0: Well, um, just so you know, and you are forewarned, I'm going to give, uh, Ron the pulpit and the music stand pulpit in just a second. Um, but I, I I want to warn you, and I, I don't know if you realize this Sunday after Sunday, maybe some of you do, uh, sermons and prayers make a difference, um. I don't know if you're going to share your 2006 experience with desiring God, but sermons and prayers make a difference. Um, And I pray that for the sake of Missio Dei Church, for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the world, that Jesus' name would be lifted up, that even out of this family of believers, that people will be sent out. And I I don't mean back to Frankfurt, Mokina, Oak Forest, wherever you might live. But I I mean literally sent out, like away from the United States. And that's a prayer, and that's a scary prayer for some of us. I think that God might be calling you to go. And so this morning, I I pray that you have open ears and an open heart to hear uh, this message, this story that... Uh, Ron is going to be sharing, because it's a powerful story that we are all a part of, that we find ourselves a part of. So I'm going to bring up my brother and uh, pray for him, and uh, pray that our hearts will be ready for this good news. Let's pray for the ministry of the Word. Father God, you have... uh, in your infinite wisdom, you have given us your word. found on the pages of Scripture. And it is the same message from Genesis through Revelation. The story of your, your redemption. Of your, the story of salvation. The story of you making all things right. We even hear in the, the very beginning of Genesis of how you have shared the good news. You have made a way through your Son that Jesus will step on the head, crush the head of Satan. Lord, I pray this morning that through the ministry of Ron that this church, that these individuals will be in the line of Jesus carrying on his mission of bringing the ministry of reconciliation, of hope, of good news to the nations use Ron this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and all God's people said,
1: Amen. Thanks, Paul. I don't know, i used to people getting up before you You give a message and say, warning, warning, watch out, you know. <laughs> so. Well, Paul's prayed for us. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for that opportunity. Paul's prayed for us and for the word. So let's let's get right into the word. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Book of Genesis,
0: Chapter Twelve.
1: And uh, we're going to start by just. uh, looking at two brief passages in Scripture, uh, and they are kind of like bookends to the story that I've selected these verses. So in Genesis chapter 12, first three verses, listen to the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, one more short passage, Revelation chapter 7. Genesis 12, the beginning of the story, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, a little portion out of this ending part, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Of course, this is the Apostle John who is granted by the Lord this privilege to have a vision of heaven, be able to see before his time what that looks like and then be able to record. So we have the privilege of having this glimpse of what heaven is like. Revelation 7:9. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May God bless His word to us this morning. All right, let's... uh, Oh, we're way past where we want to go. So, Don, I'm going to take that way back to the beginning, to that first picture here. You all trying to... There you go. That's where we want to be. So what are you looking at here? Oh, I should tell you, I want want this to be uh, interactive and... uh, a number of places through here this morning so you gotta relax and help me out don't don't make me struggle too hard up here so what are you looking at rocks marshmallows brownies ramamints you're all thinking food what is that any other any better guesses all right I want us now it's a little hard actually tell what this is. So, let's find out. It's salt and pepper. Magnified. Just looking at the small picture, what things look like. When you just look at things up close, it's hard to tell what's really going on. If you don't understand the big picture. And the reality is, that most of us spend most of our time living in magnification mode, and just looking at our immediate circumstances and the things that are going on in our life, and say, "Okay, what's on the schedule today, and what's coming up?" You know, we had prayer time before the worship service, and, and think, "Okay," you know, like Pastor Paul said, "Next three weeks is going to be really crazy coming up here, and the, all the you know." We, we get together and we, we, we focus on the immediate circumstance. But there's a problem with that. Because if that's where you're living your life only, I mean, you, you always live your life there. But if you don't have the big picture in mind, you, you don't know what to do with in that little circumstances that you're in. I mean, you, you are about ready to get out the stick and get the fire and start Roast in the salt. You know? Or you thought you were going to eat chocolate. Mmm, yeah! And you get a mouthful of pepper. See, if you don't understand the big picture, you don't know how to function well in the immediate circumstances. You'll be lost and out of place. We, we need a big picture to understand. That's what I, I want to focus on this morning. That's my, my desire Get us a big picture. What happens in our own lives? And for the church. Realize we spend most of the time as a church focusing on in a magnification mode on just what's going on in our circumstances what's the schedule's coming up got the consistory meeting got a contract we got to look at got this on the schedule we're looking at all the activities and things going on you know so you know i got here on sunday morning i have kids it's a, i think it's a miracle anytime anybody gets to church on sunday morning when they have kids it's just you know that's the circumstances but you made it okay and so as a church we tend to do the same thing. We look at the small part and we forget what the big picture is. And when you do that, we don't do very well in the little stuff that we're doing day to day in the life of the church. So we want to go ahead. Now I'm going to, this is going to be my signal. I'm going to do something like this. So if you see me waving here, you'll understand why I'm doing that. Okay? So we want to look at the Bible and say that this is one story, okay. The anybody know what the, the word Bible means? Donna's very bold. She says, no, she doesn't. She not only got to ask, she doesn't, she knows that you don't know either, because <laughs> nobody knows here. Okay? Bible means book of books. Okay? How many books in here? Sixty-six books in here? How many stories? Just one story. It's not the way we look at it though. Usually, we look at the Bible and we pull out and we read a story, and uh, you know, you do Sunday school class, or we do sermons, you do things, and you just look at an individual story and say, okay, there's a story, and I, we read that story, and we learned some lessons from that story, and that's it. But if you don't look at the big picture, you don't really understand what's going on in that individual story. We want to understand that this Bible is one story. And We can look at it in a number of different ways, and the, the, the first beginning of the Bible is the first eleven chapters of Genesis, and in here we get a it's like the preface to the story. And when you pick up a book and you're reading a novel or something like that, if you don't get a little context the big picture here, you, it, you have trouble catching on what's going on in the story. It might take you a while to get into it. Well. First eleven chapters give us the preface to the one story, and it presents to us a biblical worldview. And so, here's some things that we learn in the preface about the big picture: Where do we come from? Okay, so here's four questions. You want to know what a worldview is? Any worldview, but a biblical worldview. We're looking at is answers to these four questions. So, what do we learn in the first eleven chapters about where we come from? Creation. We're created. Anything else you want to say about it? Okay. We're created. That means there's a God. And the God is a creator God. And a pretty powerful God to create everything. He can just speak and everything comes into existence. So that tells us something very different from a worldview that says we evolved. There was a big bang. Um, tells us, next question, why are we here? Oh, stay there. Why are we here? How do, what do you learn in the beginning of Genesis about why we're here? For the, for the glory of God, how do you know that? From the Genesis one. Ah, I'm going to put down the test. Smart answer, you see. That was like the, That's like doing a children's sermon, and, and the kids come up. The answer is Jesus. I know. It's, right. it's the glory of God. A good Reformed woman, she have it. Okay. How, do we, how do we know that we are supposed to live for the glory of God? created in his image right you have image is like a mirror where we are to be reflectors of god he created us so that he might demonstrate in us as his creation things about himself and his character and who he is and we're created to be reflectors image bearers of him so when people look at us we look at one another we look at creation we're supposed to see god it's like wow <laughs> Look how awesome God is that. We're to be reflectors of Him. That's, that makes that verse in Genesis the first mission verse in the Bible. That's why we're here. We live, exist to worship God. And uh, when people don't worship God, then we have a mission that they would worship Him. What do we learn about what's wrong with the world in the beginning of Genesis. Okay, the fall. Sin. Okay, we've broken the relationship. We've been disobedient. And sin severs us from the, the place that God wants us to be and from living with Him and in an intimate relationship with Him. And God takes it seriously. pulled Adam and Eve out of the garden. We read stories about uh, the effects of sin and murder taking place and of the flood and God taking sin seriously and bringing judgment upon the people. We, we learn about um, that, that we're under God's wrath. We learn that, that the inclination of every person's heart was wicked. That's the way that we are, when we, all of us, when we enter into the world. That's what's wrong with the world. It's not a lack of education. It's not just that we made mistakes. It's our hearts are broken in the relationship with God. What do we learn in Genesis about how we fix the problem? Got to work a little harder on that one because there isn't a whole lot there, okay? Take you off the hook. There's not a whole lot there. There are glimpses, as Pastor Paul said, about, in Genesis 3, about the hope of the gospel and that Satan would be crushed. That And, and uh, an image of salvation in the ark and the flood and God delivering people. So there's glimpses there. You learn that there needs to be a sacrifice in order to be right with God in the worship that takes place in, in uh, Abraham and then um, Noah. And they had to go to sacrifice animals in worship to God. So there's some things that are glimpses there, but we don't get the whole picture. We understand now what the Gospel is. Now as Christians. What the Gospel is that you have to understand there's bad news. That's what we are just talking about. What's wrong with the world? It's our sinful relationship. If you don't understand the spiritual condition that we're in, the gospel makes no sense or it's not good news. If you understand that we and we entered in this world are under the condemnation of God, none of us enter into this world. We're born physically but not born spiritually. And we don't have communion or relationship with God. We're not reflecting His glory. Our heart is... The tendency of our heart is to be enemies to God and be disobedient to Him and to try to be our own gods. If you don't understand that, then there isn't good news. The problem is, not only are we disobedient to God, but there's absolutely nothing that any of us can do to change that situation. No matter how hard you try, no matter how good you can be, you know, there is nothing that any one of us can do to solve or to fix the problem of the broken relationship with God. That's the bad news. Good news is God has done it for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Religion is all about people trying to appease God and earn their way and work their way to God. The Gospel is just the opposite. Christianity is about God coming to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, who was perfectly righteous. He was without sin. And so that He was able to go to the cross, die there, take the judgment and wrath of God upon Himself, what we deserved, and in the place of judgment, and wrath, He gives to us His perfect righteousness. So as Christians, we're righteous, but it's not anything about us. There's no righteousness in us. It's all a gift that comes to us. And we receive it by faith in what Christ has done on the cross. That's the good news. We get reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, the sinless One. So that's the Gospel. That's what we're... Okay, a glimpse of that in Genesis... That's what gets fleshed out now in the rest of the Scriptures. So let's look at the story. Go to the next slide here. The introduction. Now, we did the preface, the first 11 chapters. Now the passage that we read. Abraham, out of... uh, Remember the the story of the Tower of Babel? And uh, nations get spread out in all the different languages. There's 70 different ones. God comes and chooses one man, Abram, later to be Abraham, out. And He says, no, I'm picking you, And I'm going to have a special relationship with you. I'm going to create a new nation. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to pour out all kinds of wonderful things into your life. And so as you're blessed, there's a reason for this. Not just so that you can be happy and have a wonderful Christian life. You're being blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. And so that in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. By that, families, it means all the other nations. All the other people groups that are out there. Are going to be blessed through you. That's the, the introduction. Okay? Next, we'll jump to the other passage we read in Revelation so, is the other bookend. And what do you see in heaven? People of every tribe and tongue and nation and language are all there worshiping God. So what was promised to Abraham in the beginning through you, all the nations, all the families, all the people, groups of the earth are going to be blessed, is fulfilled. In Revelation, we see it. We know it. God's told us how the story ends. They're all going to be there. So that's the beginning and the end. Now think about this just for a moment. I'll take, like This is a little tangent here. How can God make this promise and tell us now what the end is going to be? He can make the promise to Abraham. How can God know and can we know that this is going to come true can you do that with anything can you make a promise and know that with all certainty it's going to happen absolutely not why not because you're not sovereign god is sovereign god does whatever he pleases he wrote the story the only time you or I will ever get to be sovereign is if you write a story. When you write a story, you can make it do anything it wants. You want. It may not make sense. It might be technologically impossible. You write a story. You can do anything you want and make it happen because it's your story. But in this world, we're not. We can't do that. God can fulfill the promise because He is sovereign. So beginning and now the middle of the story. The body, the rest of the text, Genesis through the beginning of Revelation is the middle of the story. What I want to do is quickly skim through to, you'll see in a number of passages, this one story message that God is to be worshipped by all peoples, all nations, all families. And almost every significant event in the Bible, you will find this. If you you're trained, your eyes are open to see this. So, for example, in the plagues and the exodus, Moses going to the Pharaoh and says, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness, but so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you, the Pharaoh and his people, you shall know that I am the Lord. And what is the this? He's going to turn the water into blood. He's going to do this and all the other miracles and then the, you know, the party in the Red Sea. Why did he do this? Because God is demonstrating who He is. That they would know that He is the true God. Another story. The Ten Commandments. Okay, you think, Ten Commandments. They're given to us so we know how to live. Given to the people of Israel. They're all for us. No, they're not all for us. After He's given them, here's the instructions. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Those are the families, the nations, the people groups who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Through the people's obedience, all the other people around them are supposed to learn about God and who He is. Next passage, Rahab in the battle of Jericho. They're coming up, they're surrounded the city, the, the spies go in and they meet Rahab who's a prostitute and she's giving a testimony to them of what the people are thinking and feeling, what's happening there. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, is, He is God, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. See, these miracle God is doing is sending a testimony to the nations, to the people. Another one. David and Goliath. Who's the hero of the story? It's God. This is the message that David gave before he went into battle. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's of Goliath. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Why? Why did David defeat Goliath? That all the earth, not just Israel getting free, but all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Another passage. The temple. Surely you'd think, well, God built a temple just so the people of Israel would have a place to worship. But no, it's to be a house of prayer for all the people. Why did God give wisdom to Solomon? So all the kings of the earth would come and see how great and glorious the God of Solomon is. Next one The birth of Jesus. Remember, after he was born, they took him to the temple to be dedicated, and Simeon is there, elderly man. This is his prayer, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Yes, for Israel, but even more, for all the nations God sent the Messiah. One more here. Pentecost, how strategic was that? People from every country around the world were gathered together in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they all the nations of the world hear the Gospel being proclaimed in their own tongue. That was not an accident. That was strategic. So that these people would hear the Gospel and go back to their nations. And then what is the commission that we have as a church? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Who do we make disciples of? Not all individuals, but all nations. Nations are not geographic countries. They are people groups. They are ethnic groups, families. So they're tribes. There can be hundreds of people groups within a political country. And that's what we're talking about here. They're the ones that are the focus of the Great Commission, of why we exist as a church. So my point here, and just kind of skimming through some of these passages, you've seen beginning the promise all the nations are going to be blessed you see the conclusion that they will and people from every tribe are going to tongue and be there and everything that happens in between is to bring about the fulfillment of that promise that we see in the beginning and the end that's why we exist so if the goal is to get the gospel to all the peoples, how are we doing here well, A couple of ways to put this in perspective. One of the things Revelation talks about is that when we get to heaven, it's going to be like a great marriage feast. And if you could picture if that table was going to have 10 seats in it to represent all the people. 10 seats. Right now, four of those seats are empty. World population is about 7 billion people now. 2.8 billion people have never heard the Gospel of jesus christ and they have no way of knowing it unless someone goes tells them there are about sixteen thousand people groups so people group is a set of people who are distinguished from one another by their language or by their culture so that there's some linguistic or cultural barrier that has to be crossed between one group and another group sixteen thousand about six thousand of them have no Access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, how about this? You all know what this is? You're going to identify this, right? How many people, uh, let's do percentage wise. How many people do you think in the world population, percentage wise, can identify this logo? How many? 90? 96, you're all pretty good, 94%. 94% of the world's population can identify what this means. In 112 years, motivated by making money, with a mission statement that there would be a Coke in every hand, this company has reached 94% of the world's population. After over 2,000 years, we have something far better, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we've only made it to 60% of the people. That's a pretty sad story. One of the reasons that's true is because we as an American church have not grasped the big picture. Of the money that we collect as an American church, 5%... All the income in churches goes toward mission. Now, of that 5%, only a half a penny of every dollar is focused on people who have no access to the gospel. 99.5% of all mission money is targeted to people who already have access to the gospel. The remaining 40% who have never heard the gospel get a half a penny for that mission. That might tell us why there's still 40% who haven't heard. How important is it for them to hear? The next one. Jesus says in Matthew 24:14, "And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come how serious is Jesus about getting the gospel to he's not coming back until the remaining people without access to the gospel hear the good news of Jesus Christ that's the mission so let's think about the story now into some of the context here's the two heavy tribe story part of the story
2: For years, David and his team have been preaching the gospel, starting dozens of churches throughout Papua New Guinea. And as the ministry now expands into Mexico, their work continues. One of the ministry's biggest challenges when planting churches is gaining the people's trust. The old saying is, they won't care how much we know until they know how much we care. You can't just walk in off the street, they've never seen you before, they don't know who you are. Walking off the street and think you have the authority to speak to them on that kind of an important level. You've got to Driving to every tribe ministry until the whole world hears. Mission is not a burden. Well, I can show you from the Scripture. Oh yeah, God said, Jesus said, "Go into all the world, preach the gospel." Yeah, it is a command. It is.
1: So that's what we do Is To Every Tribe, part of the story. Uh, three things that represent us. We are looking to mobilize the church for this great commission. We are a training center for missionaries. We have a two-year training program called the Center for Pioneer Church Planting. And we are sending missionaries to Papua New Guinea, Mexico, and soon to other countries as well. Where do Marge and I plug in? There's another part of the story. Our story. Paul was alluding to this. I was happy being a pastor. Thought I'd always be a pastor all my life. Attended a pastor's conference in 2006 in Minneapolis. David Sitton, you saw on here, the president of Two Every Tribe, was the mission speaker. During that message, he sent out a challenge. He called for a tithe of the pastors. There were 1,400 pastors. So he asked for 140 pastors from that conference to leave the pastorate and give their lives to go on the mission field. And Marge and I realized at that point we were a part of that tithe. So that's what we did. And in 2008, we came down to Los Fresnos, Texas, which is right next to Brownsville, as far south as you can go, to tip of Texas, down to the Gulf of Mexico, right on the border. Uh, that's where we live and where the mission agency is located. And we've been living there for four years. I'm the executive director. Marge has done some work in communications. We both do some teaching in the program, and we do pastoral work, training and mentoring uh, the ministry, and uh, are helping it to grow and expand. That's what we do, and our current need is when, I'm not shy to tell you this, um, we are looking for financial support. Uh, we, when we started off four years ago, the Lord sold our house, but we weren't fully supported. Uh, we had about 70% of what we need, and uh, we've been... Using up money that was available, and we're running out of it. We've dropped our medical insurance. uh, It's trying to make ends meet at this point, so um, we have financial needs as well as the prayer needs, and um, we're looking for that support. So here's more of the story, your story, okay? Because as a church, it'll remember the big picture. Why do you exist? You exist primarily, according to the Great Commission, to get the Gospel to people who have never heard. And part of my challenge to you is to begin to think as a congregation to have a global mindset. I always thought I was a local pastor, and I finally realized there's no such thing as a local church. There's only a global church that has ministry in a local context. I want to challenge you as a church to think globally what you're doing here is about the big picture in some way of helping to get the Gospel to the people who have never heard. And then there's another story and it's your story as an individual. Because remember, it's all one story. We're all a part of it. Margie and I are any more a part of the story because we've gone on a mission field than you are. You're all in the same story. The reason you We're created, we said, and the reason you exist is to magnify and to glorify God. And when people aren't doing that, then the mission, Jesus says, is that, and and what he gave to Abraham is to be witnesses to the nations, to the people, the people groups. That's your mission as an individual as well. You have three options to fulfill that mission. You know, what are you going to do with the Great Commission? You can go. Pastor Paul said, maybe God is gonna call somebody, is calling somebody, speaking to somebody right now, right here in this room, saying, You know, that's me. I, I, I need to go. I never I didn't realize that. Or maybe God's been working on you for a while and you're just like, I'm gonna push you over the edge. You say, It's time, I gotta go. Or maybe it's gonna come a few years down the road. And we have single people, we have families, we've had retired people, it doesn't matter. God can use you and your gifts so you can go or you can send. You can commit yourself to as radical a lifestyle as a missionary does while you're here living simply just in your finances, how you commit your time and energy so that you can be a you know, we we talk about missionary martyrs. Who are going out to the hard and difficult where we send people, the unreached people, it's dangerous and difficult to get to. All of the easy people are taken. Everybody else who needs the gospel, it's hard or difficult. That's why they're unreached. We're sending people out there. We say they're missionary martyrs. We need financial martyrs in order to get those people out there. So you can go, you can send. Or you can disobey the Great Commission. Which one are you going to do? Let me put it in perspective. This picture of a coast guard helicopter. You've seen pictures like this before. You can't see in this picture, but there's a swimmer down in the water that needed to be rescued. So you have a person who needs rescuing. You have the person who's down on the water on the end of the line trying to go down and to grab the people and get them out. You have the helicopter, and somebody's flying the helicopter up there. And then you have the Coast Guard who, who purchased the helicopter so they could go out and do the rescues. That's a picture of mission. The People who have no access to the Gospel are the people who need to be saved. The ones who are going down the rope and around the line, those are the missionaries who are going, who are out in the front lines and out in the fields and the jungles of Papua New Guinea and the mountains of Mexico and out in uh, the 1040 window in the Muslim countries. Those are the missionaries. The helicopter is the mission agency. Because I'm the executive director, I get to fly it. That's the fun part. Okay. That's the mission agency who trains and equips the people that are going to get dropped down the rope. We're, we're holding the rope for those missionaries out there and you as the church are the Coast Guard as a whole. You're the one who makes it happen, who buys the helicopter, who puts the people out there on the field and, and, and gets the pilot there. If any part of that picture is missing, the person in the water there drowns. Not going to get the gospel if we fall and miss any part of that. You as a church are essential to completing the great commission of getting the gospel to those nations who have never heard. And you need to know this our little slogan Jesus is worth it. It's worth whatever you can do as a goer, as a sender in order to get the gospel to these people. Because God is so great. He's deserving of our worship. And that's what it's all about. We want God to be worshipped by all people. So Jesus can come back again. We'll get to see heaven. Not just for us, but for God and for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You praise and glory and honor. pray that You will speak to us and each one of us individually, what we need to hear today, and as a church congregation here, what Missio Dei needs to hear today, and we might find joy in You and the gift that You've given to us in Jesus Christ, and want to be martyrs, which means witnesses. Whether we're goers or whether we're senders, Lord, I ask that You would help us all To yield ourselves to the working of your Holy Spirit and to the good news of the gospel, that you might be glorified in us, through us, through your church. The people of every tribe and tongue will hear the good news of Jesus Christ.
2: Your glory, we pray. Amen.